we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse, the fifth column, 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 column. Greetings, columnists. Greetings. We, uh, we're back again. Fully assembled, forming Voltron here. It's uh, pretty cool. Delighted to have you back with us for uh, episode six of the fifth column. Never thought we'd make it this, make it this far. I'd like to thank God, first and foremost, for uh, creating this opportunity. Um, and I'd also like to thank my illustrious co-hosts. Uh, first and foremost, there's a, and, and I mean it, first and foremost, because he was gone last week. We have Matt Welch. Also because I'm a little bit better than Moynihan. That's <laughs> true. I mean, if we're just being honest Reason, about this. Totally of Reason true. Magazine. Yeah. And uh, another gentleman by the name of Michael Moynihan, who really, I mean, he doesn't need an introduction uh, because he's very nearly famous. And also because famous. he's unemployed. <laughs> he's literally unemployed. That is not true. Yeah. He is uh, affiliated with I take both. Venmo. <laughs> I, if you, you can directly Venmo me, which is like what the kids use. He's affiliated with Vice News and the Daily Beast. Uh, and <laughs> this affiliated is, means this you don't is have a job. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Fifth Column uh, podcast. We do something uh, with respect to the news and the news cycle. Um, and occasionally we talk about politics too. This episode is a little odd. We are recording it on Tuesday morning and it is the Tuesday morning of the Indiana Indiana Indiana, Indiana primary it's a state yeah, yeah I was yeah. going to say Indianapolis yeah but I kept wanting to say Indianapolis and then mm. I wanted to, to say going back to Indiana I shouldn't do that how much of this can, can we, we start cut again? out? Yeah, <laughs> no, it doesn't can matter. We, at, any rate, at any rate, at any that's rate, that's funny because I want to go Gary Indiana, uh, Gary Indiana. No, we should stop. We should stop this whole thing. All right. Um, so at any rate, I, I, I a, just want to leave. <laughs> there's a primary there. Um, it is going on. We don't actually know the outcome. You're listening to this on Wednesday. We recorded this Tuesday. You know the outcome. We don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since there's a very good chance, according to some delicate souls, I think uh, we know the outcome. That, we know the outcome. <laughs> that the entire union will implode. Um, if one Donald Trump is elected president, and in some cases, some would argue even nominated, uh, this seems like a very dark moment. So we are preemptively recording this episode because the world would disappear tomorrow. Mm. And yeah. if you're listening to this, we're already dead. Don't burn down the straw man I'm in sorry. the first five sorry, minutes, sorry, Camille sorry. Foster. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we will also talk about the independent vote. Uh, some There are some people called libertarians, and apparently uh, they have some solution to the, uh, to the great disaster and calamity that we find ourselves surrounded with. Uh, we'll also go back in time to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, uh, and we will revisit some controversies about a word that starts with N, that yeah. makes two men whose name starts with M. Uh, yeah, only because you won't be an adult and use the no. use the word nigger oh, in context. Gosh. I mean, seriously, nigger or nigga? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Well, what's different? We'll At any rate, we're different. gonna we are gonna keep it a hundred right now uh, and and just get rolling. So was, was that a rap? Gentlemen, I have no idea. Oh God. <laughs> You guys didn't I, read the show I notes at all. I no idea what that means. So let's let's travel yeah. let's travel to Indiana. Let's talk about this primary just a little bit. The one that, of course, has not yet concluded, but that we we're pretty sure we know what's going to no. happen here. Trump way overperformed, outperformed the polling the last go round. Uh, Matt, what is your take on on all of this? It's business? over. It's over. Uh, it's over. We're going to have this, six. This is the end of Never Trump. Uh, this is the end of Never Trump as a uh, movement that has any real impact on the. GOP nomination. It is not the end of Never Trump as a 
uh, concept or as a block of people who will be fighting a uh, an increasingly, I hope, a vicious battle over the future of the Republican Party. George Will had a column uh, this weekend, which was really remarkable, uh, talking about how the only duty, the, the the two duties left for conservatives, and I hope I remember the second one because I'm only remembering the first one right now. The two duties left. The first one is to make sure that Trump loses 50 of 50 states. Yeah. That's remarkable. You have the most syndicated columnist in the country by a wide margin, a guy who's been a reliable conservative, although he's been turning way libertarian over the last five years, mostly due to Reason Magazine, I think. Uh, I think he's probably does the biggest influence on him. Um but saying uh, openly that we are going to, we need to, we have to block the Republican candidate. This is going to set up a, a delightful moment in which Trump goes to the convention with 1,237 delegates, probably. Um, I mean, definitely, I think, after Indiana. Uh, and he will face, I think, a pretty uh, uh, likely scenario of Hillary Clinton wiping the floor with him. And so all the people who've been backing Trump uh, as an expression of their both rage and kind of delight at burning down the Republican establishment and burning down what they see as political correctness and other things, uh, they are going to be uh, engaging in the mother of all stab in, stab in the back theories. They're going to say that it's George Will, it's Jonah Goldberg, it's Reince Priebus, it's every bad person that they don't like. It's Paul Ryan who's going to be the uh, main problem uh, between uh, Donald Trump and uh, the White House. This will be, I think, somewhat uh, false, uh, but it also speaks to the fact, I think, that this whole kind of Republican civil war, it's it's over. It isn't beginning. It's kind of over. Like it already happened. And now we're sort of seeing just where the bodies will end up. And it's an open question whether there's going to be these people are going to be together or whether it's going to be a great jettisoning. The never Trump crowd right now is compiling names and lists of people who are, uh, you know, uh, like the Death Eaters in uh, in Harry Potter are like coming out and supporting Trump um, uh, here and they want to be able to purge them from polite society. Uh, you know, I, as I, I think you guys said on the show last week, which I listened to, pretty good show, you guys. Not, you. not bad. Um, <laughs> the, the, or it was Andy Levy, my replacement. Uh, the only, it's, it, I look at this. Uh, I'm texting him right now, by the way. Yeah, you should. <laughs> what are you look, doing next on, week? He's on speed dial. Uh, it, the, the only sad thing is that we're not seeing something similar on the Democratic end because it's re- richly reser- uh, deserved on the Republican end in ways that I think that the never Trump uh, crowd has yet to take responsibility for. Hmm. That is the big thing for me. Sure. You know, look at 1994, Newt Gingrich wins Republican uh, Revolution, Restoration, whatever, in in Congress. Um, Those people sold out their limited government principles within about eight months. Uh, And there was a book that came out by the Cato Institute in 2004 about the Republican Revolution 10 years later. Everyone in the book said, my God, we sold out all of our principles. It was terrible, with the exception of Newt Gingrich. Gingrich said the greatest thing that we did there is that we got 8 million new voters into the system who hadn't been in the system before. And we got them by talk radio, by Fox News, and by all this populist appeal. We got them through the conservative entertainment complex talking about how Hillary Clinton was a terrible lesbian, basically. Um, So he was bragging on that fact. It's not bragging on the fact of actual governance, of actually doing anything that matters, of actual limited government principles. So that is the movement that the modern Republican, including a lot of the conservative establishment, has been winking and nodding and inflaming for 20 
years. <laughs> there are See, less can, you, can, you can curse on this show. Uh, my it's mom okay. subscribed there, to this yeah, uh, now. So she's a lovely woman. She wrote a, she there may wrote be a, strong she wrote language, Matt's too. mom. She's a, she's a clever lady. Um, uh, she won't be listening after this episode. <laughs> uh, I think there's a couple things wrong with that. The first, the first one being that, you know, this idea, it reminds me actually in a way of uh, the two things that are connected when you say, you know, what the, the excuse that will be used when Trump is tranced in, in, in the general. And it will be, you know, they're compiling lists. It'll be the never Trump people. It'll be all these people that the, the Deutschus, the stab in the back. Uh, true. And that, that's absolutely true. Because what happened, you know, in 2008, 2012, is you have talk radio people, specifically people like Rush Limbaugh saying, well, you know, we would have won this election. It absolutely mystifies me. We would have won this election had we nominated somebody who is a real conservative. So everyone voted for Barack Obama or stayed home, apparently, mm-hmm. and allowed Barack Obama to walk into the White House because there was somebody on the ticket that wasn't conservative enough. And none of it ever made sense to me. So that actually, I think, you know, is going to happen. Um, again, this time, it'll be just blame a, a different uh, sort of group of people. But on the, on the 1994 thing and on the betrayal thing, I hear this a lot. And I think this is, is the same ver- – it's a version of what, what Rush Limbaugh says. But, you know, when you see that, you know, these people have betrayed their limited government principles, they right. were not actual conservatives. The contract with America or when I was in college, it was called the contract on America. Yeah. Change the preposition. <laughs> like the war with Iraq, war on Iraq um, that, was, that was pushed upon us and, you know, gave us – you know, the nightmare of the 1990s. Um, you know, the idea that people want more of that, I think, died with the, with the Tea Party, the death of the Tea Party in a lot of ways, which is just no longer a political force anymore. But this idea that if you wanted somebody that was limited government, that was conservative, that was libertarian, that was classically liberal, that was, you know, sort of freedmanite and, in, in, you know, in, instead of sort of Rawlsian, who go, you can say whatever you want. Why would you pick Donald Trump? I mean, yeah. you talk to these people, you see these people in their interactions, and the knowledge of American politics is is so limited, and the knowledge of politics in general. Is limited. If you look, at, I, I tweeted this yesterday, and I recommend everybody watch it. Ted Cruz's interaction with Trump supporters yesterday. I've got some audio. For that. I mean, can, it is so so remarkable. And I'll set this up briefly. Ted Cruz is walking. Out of something. And this is how low our standards are in politics. People actually were tweeting at me and saying, hey, you got to give him credit for actually engaging with the protesters. Like, <laughs> I mean, really? He wants a cookie for that? So so basically he's walking out and there's these Trump protesters who appear to be out of a Michael Moore movie. Like, you know, like sort of toothless weirdos who like, hey, Ted, like, I mean, literally sound like that. Oh, and in like, you know, he's Ted Cruz. I mean, who in this situation sounds incredibly reasonable compared to he's saying you're lying, Ted. And they're like, well, you know, well, what about this? You here's, lying, Ted. Here's, here's the well, me, here's the issue that I think. Well, well you lying, Ted. Let, let, me, throw, you let me go ahead me? and throw the audio out before you dig this whole any deeper with everyone who has. I don't give a shit at this point. I don't have a job. I just. Sir, with all respect, Donald Trump is deceiving you. He is playing you for a chump. And ask yourself two questions. Why is it that the mainstream media so desperately wants Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee? And why is it that John Boehner 
supports Donald Trump. Do, do, do you agree with John Boehner? No. Do you agree with Nancy Pelosi? The, the thing is, there, do you agree I don't with agree Harry everybody, Reed? but I do believe agree? in Trump. He's the only one that's going to put us where we need to be. Sir, what are you going to do sir, about well, our Second Amendment? Okay. Okay. Great question. What are you going to do the about the Second, Second Amendment? Yeah. All right. I have defended the Second Amendment in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. Do you know that Donald Trump supported Bill Clinton's national ban on some of the most popular firearms in America? And that is a fact. You can go read his book where he said, I agree with Bill Clinton. In fact, he said, I hate guns. That's a quote from Donald Trump. I have spent 20 years fighting to defend the Second Amendment. And I'll tell you this, sir. If Donald Trump ever becomes president, he has said on the Supreme Court he's going to cut a deal with Chuck Schumer. He said that in two debates ago, which means... He's going to put a liberal on the Supreme Court who's going to take away your Second Amendment right. There is a reason why Gun Owners of America has endorsed me in this campaign, because I've defended the Second Amendment my whole life, while Donald Trump is a New York liberal who will take away your Second Amendment rights. I, I can stop it there. Yeah, I can stop yeah it, it, there. Go, it goes on forever. I can stop yeah. it there because facts don't matter. No, it doesn't. Um, look, I, yeah. I don't like Ted Cruz you as, lie, a, as a Camille. person. As a person, I don't the like it. The, by the way, the background is, shouting is that you're from the establishment. <laughs> but it's, it's like, well, is this the redneck comedy tour? I mean, there's like people. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's like this is every cliche packed into a 10 minute, including the so handlebar mustache. It's so hard not to feel bad for Ted Cruz, <laughs> at least a little bit. It, 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 this is the first time this, I've ever during yeah. this exchange, at least for me, and I, and I really don't like him. Yeah, because he is at least at this moment like bringing several facts to bear. And talking about things that have actually happened. And you can see the look on the guy's face. It's just blank. He's smiling because it doesn't matter yeah. what you say to me. I've decided that Donald Trump is the strong man that can finally heal America. And and to, to sort of bring it back around to, to what we were discussing, Matt, um, I don't know if those conservative principles were ever really embraced by the people who are actually electing Republican candidates to office. I think that there's two. I, I agree with the notion that people who agree with my politics are always going to be a minority in yes. this country. Yes. Uh, and my, I'm, that's why I never get my hopes up about major party politics in general. Uh, as long as we have two big parties that are kind of uh, uh, uh not controlling things, but just uh, are the only uh, competitors out there. And that there are these unwieldy kind of blocks of people with weird interests. Um, I'm not going to get a whole lot of satisfaction. The Tea Party push was interesting. Right. It was an attempt to try to get uh, sort of fiscal conservatism back uh, on the front burner. And there are legitimately new and different types of people. Why are you wielding well, your be, hand sanitizer yeah, at me, Moynihan? That's weird. Well, first of all, because the things that are coming out of your mouth are disgusting and infected. <laughs> so I have to just try to put up this gelatinous wall between us. But, you know, the thing, <laughs> so that's it. He waves the sanitizer yeah. around no, to distract that, me. No, and now he takes the ball. No, that's I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. That's, this is what I'm doing. Ah. Yeah, it's by the way, when you used to do a uh, 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 Judge Napolitano show and, all did, and he used to point at you when there was when with, he with was, the Pen. With a pen. With a $10,000 pen, by the way. He, Those are real pens. Yeah, when it's not, I know, it's this jewel encrusted pen when he wanted you to stop. And I've been like, you try to make your point really quickly because he was pointing a pen at you. Um. Even better, though, is the uh, John Stossel eye, uh, eye glaze. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're sitting there with Stossel and, uh, and, uh -huh. you, and you say any number. It could be like $19 trillion of debt or billion dollars or just trillion, trillion now, right? $19 trillion in debt. And he, he does the eye glaze. And he's like, damn it. 
shit. He's not listening and he wants me to shut up and I'm in mid-sentence. What do I do? That's totally happened to me. So what you're saying, Matt, is debt is bad? (laughs) Sorry, that's my John Stossel. This man just had surgery. But this is is because John John Stossel is a man of the people. He understands that numbers are frightening to most people and that they don't actually care about numbers. Just say big, say small, say more. Say less. Say huge. You don't need to. Get, huge. Uh, huge way, is obviously very effective. You are all part of the problem. <laughs> but back to the tea to the tea party thing. You say that, um, and and I remember what, I was at Reason at the time, and we we were covering the tea party pretty aggressively. I wrote a qualified defense one time of saying, like, look, I mean, this is you guys are going crazy about these people. And then I think Nick and I went down to a Tea Party rally and, 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 and videoed, did a video piece. And I remember some of the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor when it was one bit in particular of me arguing with a guy who was holding a sign that said McCarthy was right. Yeah. And I was like, I, <laughs> no, I, thought, well, I thought we ran that. Did we actually run I think that? think we did. It might have been. But I was like, yeah. so Eisenhower was a communist. And he was like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? I'm like, all right, okay, let's just let's just move on from it. <laughs> the thing, and that I think is, is actually indicative of what happened uh, so quickly with the Tea Party is these things get overwhelmed by other interests. You can't control it. You can never stop it. You can't bubble it. You can't protect it. This idea that it was going to be about economic policy, which, you know, at the beginning of the Obama administration, what was looming, what was being proposed was, you know, okay, this is a radical shift from, actually, frighteningly enough, not too radical of a switch uh, from what George W. Bush was doing, but it, it felt like something different was happening, so there's this groundswell. But, you know, I mean, how long did it take before I'm talking to people who were like Christian identity movement people, people who were essentially, you know, CPAC types that who had migrated from the hotel where CPAC is held, sure. uh, you know, in Woodley Park down to the mall to have a have a have a protest. You have been to CPAC for a while. It's uh, now at the National Harbor. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I have actually been to one there. I covered one there for somebody. I can't remember uh, for the Daily Beast. But, you know, and I you know, the thing about it that, that's weird is you look at how quickly Remember the vehemence, and I remember anybody out there listening, remember the vehemence with which the Tea Party was. There were books. Uh, what was it? Jill Lepore, these people from like New York girl, writing these books about this moment, Tea Party. I mean, Dana Milbank wrote an entire book about Glenn Beck. With he's crying on the covers like it's the end of democracy. I mean, I hate Glenn Beck and wrote a number of pieces about how I hated Glenn Beck. But all of this stuff that was that was the the sort of conservative and ideological apocalypse just kind of disappeared. There was a great uh, we, ha- we just had Reason Weekend uh, annual conference uh, in uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, opening night speaker was Thomas Massey, who is an, an, from uh, Kentucky. Uh, an example of the type of Tea Party politician who's totally different than the types who were being elected before 2010. Sure. Um, he's super libertarian, self-identifies yeah. as such. Really funny guy, lives off the grid. He's a weird hippie. He has a, uh, a, a bumper sticker on his Tesla saying something like, I support coal. So, like, he's just a crazy person and great. Um, <laughs> he has this thing in his talk of saying, like... Um, you know, back when Rand Paul got elected as Tea Party and back when later Thomas Massey got elected as Tea Party, they thought, OK, great. All our ideas about limited uh, uh, fiscal government, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff uh, are, on, are on the rise. People are really uh, embracing us. And then when he went to Iowa to campaign for Rand Paul and saw that every single one of the people that they had made friends with in the Tea Party movement were all uh, growing out handlebar mustaches and supporting Donald Trump, he realized, oh, no. 
They just wanted the craziest person. We used to be the craziest person in the room, and now there's a crazier person, and they've moved on. And that I is, honestly think there's something to that. That, that is, is an interesting true. theory. That is yeah. an interesting theory. It, but but there are those who do truly, deeply, to their core, believe in the principles and the values that have been articulated by candidates like Rand Paul uh, and Mr. Massey. Um, what ought those people do uh, in the coming months when it's time to vote? Do you suspect, Matt Welch of Breezen Magazine, uh, that there will, in fact, be this third party wave, that there might, in fact, be a candidate that runs for office on, say, the libertarian ticket or perhaps makes some sort of independent run on behalf of the Republicans that actually reflects some of those limited government um, values? It's um, too and, late. And is that where those people ought to be casting their ballots? I believe given, firmly, given, the, given the risks associated with Trump, I, I think that's the that's the, the full setup there. I believe firmly in uh, uh, Penn Gillette. Uh, dictum that I am so libertarian that I don't want to tell people how to vote. Uh, and That's I kind of, I kind of, I, like uh, I, I get that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't like telling people how to vote. When uh, Nick Gillespie and I were touring our book, The Declaration of Independence, people would always ask the second question after the Federal Reserve and the fiat currency question. <laughs> uh, the second question was always, so uh, who should we vote for? Or, you know, what about third parties? And we're like, bro, it's not about that. It's about single issues and swarming towards them. But uh, to answer your question, it's too late for any uh, like scrambled third party new independent candidate unless you decided to focus your efforts on a purple state like Colorado or a swing state like Florida and say, we're just going to compete in these two states in order to have a different person win so that maybe we can throw the election to the House of Representatives. And I've seen that kind of chatter. And, and even explaining that, I got lost and I, right. I, I had, had to go take a nap. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. It's too late to get on all the ballots. The only party... Uh, that is on all 50 ballots or will be on all 50 ba- ballots is the Libertarian Party. So the never Trumpers, if they want to a- affirmatively vote for someone, um, they'll either have to vote for Hillary Clinton when it comes down to it, or they're going to have to vote for, I think, the Libertarian Party. This dovetails with the fact that uh, not only are uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton the most reviled major party candidates in the history of people me- measuring this, of which is, which uh, unfavorability. Is remarkable. That Hillary yeah. Clinton, we that that would be the dominant storyline right now if it weren't for Donald Trump. Is how That's we've right. never seen poll numbers like this of someone being majority of Americans don't like this person. Yeah, uh, that's kind of remarkable for our next president, right? Uh, but Trump is even worse than that. So you have those numbers, and then you also have a series of poll numbers. Um, of two varieties. One, people say, uh, you know, would you like to have a third party to vote for? And everyone's, oh, my God, yes. Those numbers are higher. They're <laughs> usually around 18, 24, 25 percent right now. So those numbers are high. Sometimes they had a theoretical Gary Johnson thrown in a Monmouth poll that got 11 uh, percent. And you also have exit poll numbers in, in primary states saying that huge numbers of Republicans on the order of 35 percent say they won't vote Republican if the other guy wins. So all that combines to make you think that, okay, then uh, the Libertarian Party is going to do better than ever. But that's super tall as dwarf category. So the problem with the Libertarian Party, which one could not summarize in a minute, or much less an hour, um, you know, is that, look, I, I, if 11% in a Monmouth poll 
is, I think, so overshooting it. I mean, I think more more people this time will stay home than actually say, go and, and, and vote for the Libertarian Party. I mean, what is the highest liber- Libertarian Party has ever pulled? In, uh, 1%? Uh, yes. 1%, right? Yep, exactly. So, I mean, a jump of 9%, you know, from 1% to 10% would be, would be, there wouldn't be a jump. Percentage percent. points, I, I Michael. I understand. I understand. I would, I, before you even opened your mouth from 1% to 10 <laughs> that's all I was saying. Plus 9 equals 10. Um, that would be astonishing to me. But I mean, I agree entirely, wholeheartedly, and I'm sort of troubled that I do with the George Will piece is that I don't I don't want I can't see this person win the presidency. I want to see I mean, I could deal and this I'll get the hate, most hate mail for. I could deal with four years of Hillary Clinton before I could deal with four years of Donald Trump. And I know that, that, that Camille is sweating and, and, and about to <laughs> take a swing at me. But I mean, I actually, you know, I, to, to conservatives out there, um, I am not one of you, but I, I imagine that Hillary Clinton would probably be more conservative in this sort of baseline, average conservative way. Because, you know, most conservatives are not opposed to carpet bombing in the sense that Ted Cruz is, right? And Hillary Clinton's your candidate, if you like that. I don't think it's a good is, idea. Is Ted Cruz actually opposed to carpet bombing? No, I, I say thought... he's pro. Oh, yeah, he's I'm pro, saying, pro, pro And what I'm saying is that most, yeah. most conservatives, you know, are – they don't mind that. And, and look, T- Ted Cruz is focus grouping this stuff. And if this was a bad thing amongst conservatives, he would not be arguing with Donald Trump of who yeah. could release the most bombs over the Middle East. So if you want that, your candidate's Hillary Clinton. I, I right? say I say again for the good of the order, I I continue to dissent from uh this uh this vein, this rich vein of respectability politique mm-hmm. uh that is uh that's currently being discussed. I don't much care if it's Trump or Hillary. Quite frankly, of all of the major candidates, they still seem. But what about globally? Very much the same. What about globally? What does it do globally to uh-huh. not not? And I don't want to say America's reputation because I could give two shits about America's reputation. Right. Anyone who's ever lived abroad knows America doesn't have a reputation to speak of, and anything negative that happens just piles on to this. You know, perception of what right. America is, but what about our real, our international relationships? Whether we, we, it, whether it be a, with Moscow, whether it be with trade deals, we've had I mean, a very unpopular. Well, we've had very unpopular sure. presidents in the past. We've had presidents that other leaders of governments sure. did not like at all. But it's and, not they, what I'm and they about. dealt and they dealt with one another. And he'll have and he'll have an army of people. Look, I don't think he's going to be good. I don't think he's good at much. Uh, I still wonder though if on. On net, like on the fundamentals, on the things that matter, like actual economic policy, actual foreign policy, I find like what uh, Andrew Sullivan dis- the, uh, discusses in this mm. uh, very long piece that he wrote, which actually I think I found it's like parts of it being to be, referred to Britain's loudest yeah, band. It's found, the longest I've, piece. I found parts of it to be really, really good. Um, but the truth is, like we've seen, like when we talk about him being uniquely totalitarian and uniquely violent, he uses really dumb, raw rhetoric. Uh, but when Bernie Sanders talks you about the bankers, uniquely, u- uniquely, raw. uniquely, uniquely in the sense that it is incredibly crude um, and it isn't polished at all. But the same sort of vitriol is at work with the Sanders campaign and amongst Sanders supporters 
And we saw that horrible street brawl that broke out in California when Donald Trump was holding his rally. And those weren't his supporters that were assaulting people in the streets and clogging up and clogging up the highways. If there is a totalitarian streak out there, it is just part of the democratic polity. It is it is part of the mood of the moment right now. And I don't know that Donald Trump is uniquely awful in most of these other respects. I think they're all really, really bad. Okay, a a few things. The first thing is that Sanders won't be the nominee. So that's a that's a good thing. I mean, that kind of rhetoric is, you know, um, I think Hillary Clinton aping the kind of anti trade rhetoric. I think she's going to move to the center when, you know, maybe at the end of the election, maybe when she wins. But the thing is, is that, you know, when when Trump says off the record um, to the New York Times, I'm not going to build a wall. I'm just, you know, uh-huh. these rubes are just he doesn't mean that about trade. He truly believes that about trade. And I mean, he's been saying this long before he was running for president, that these trade imbalances, he has his hatred of China, et cetera. So I don't really care what the president of, of Estonia thinks of um, President Trump. I do care about the repercussions of these sort of we're going to level the playing field globally by engaging in trade wars is, you know, one of the most asinine, stupid. So, I mean, you know, the, the thing that Trump supporters say, which always amazes me, is, well, he'll figure it out when he gets in there. That's like when you see an ad in a newspaper and it says uh, uh, bartender, waitress required. Uh, you have to have experience. And people always say, well, how do you get the experience? you got to get in there. Like, right. I get that as a waitress. You're the president of the United States of America. This is a big job. But, so but figuring it out there's... when you get in there is one thing. But, you know, I, I don't have I think there is a certain core set of beliefs that Donald Trump has that he will choose people to reinforce those beliefs. Not stuff like, well, I can't figure out what's going on in the Suez Canal. I'll get sort of an Egypt expert. It's a, it's a coin toss. There are some fundamental things which I think are so terrifying. And to have somebody as a potential as a president saying, like today, as, as Matt pointed out, and I just tweeted, that, you know, that Ted Cruz's father might have been involved in the assassination yeah. of John F. Kennedy. I don't even These know what not, he's talking this about. This is not a normal human being anymore. He, he's in you. charge. <laughs> he's in charge, or will be in charge when he wins the presidency, which he obviously will. Um, of the law enforcement apparatus, yes. someone yeah. who is uh, has no respect uh, for things like uh, American libel laws, someone who has incredibly thin skin about when he's criticized, uh, is going to be in charge of the mother of all uh, 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 law enforcement right. apparatuses, uh, and that all. So think about the areas in which he will have discretion. And you have quite a large amount of discretion when you're negotiating trade deals and these kind of things. He really believes that China is raping us on trade. Imagine the mindset that gets you to the idea that people who want to sell us their stuff cheaply are actually pinning us down right. and sexually violating us <laughs> oh, repeatedly Jeez. in the face. Wait a minute. In the by face. the way, did you in the face? That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that, by the way, this is the great America in 2016, that the reaction to that comment was about rape, rape. Yes. Yes. about the word yeah, rape? How could that's... you invoke rape? It's like, no, the problem with that comment is it's that, ridiculous. that getting cheap goods from China that benefit poor people in this country is the same thing as being in Mike Tyson's hotel room. Sorry, <laughs> I know you think he's innocent, but sorry. But herein, but herein lies the problem. Like that is, in fact, what voters believe, and he sure. can't. So do you're submitting the to the will of the voters? Not, suddenly, no, this is, you uh, love democracy. No, I'm suddenly? not saying. I'm Crazy. not saying that at so all. So we should talk I'm about Andrew Solomon's piece. Now, I'm saying that the, I'm saying that the principal problem here isn't Donald Trump and the fact that he's a grotesque person who isn't particularly sophisticated or refined. It's that the office itself is far too large for any 
reasonable person to inhabit, let alone a lunatic, and that no one can have enough experience to do that job well. I, I think in some in some respect, I'm sure that we agree on that, that way too much power has been accumulated in the office. Yeah. So for me, it's it's is the likelihood that he will actually do really super duper, unbelievably heinous things beyond the scope of the heinous things that have already been done by previous presidents. Is it is the likelihood so high? I'm not sure. But the things that we're actually concerned about, like the trade deal. You, the the reality is or a bad trade deal, a genuinely bad trade deal, one that actually limits trade, um, is that voters want that. And the likelihood of that happening isn't going to increase because Donald Trump is in office, from my standpoint. It seems to me that if voters really, really want that, they're going to get that. Do we want to be in a position? But I don't know. Do we want to be in a position? And this is, I think, the important question of all is, do we want to be in a position that the president of the United States, the person running for the presidency and, you know, who has a reasonable chance of being elected? You see these national polls now and, you know, they're they're distressingly tight. And I guess this is the only time that I will countenance the, a Nazi analogy here, because there is actually the, the same echo here of that. Well, he doesn't mean it. That's the sort of 1920s things. Do we want to be in a situation where we're electing a president and crossing our fingers and hoping that he doesn't mean it. Why don't we ha- aren't why aren't we in a position where the man running for the highest office in the United States, the most powerful position in the world, won't just be straight up with us, not sort of furtively whispering to editorial boards, well, I don't really mean this, because which is tacitly acknowledging that it's totally fucking crazy, by the way, the things that he's saying, untenable crazy, and I'm stoking the sort of fires of my crazy supporters. I'm distressed by somebody who wants to harness the power of people that are mentally ill as your... I mean, that's essentially <laughs> what he's saying. I can shoot people on Madison at Fifth Avenue, and I wouldn't lose support. No, I mean, everyone's clapping for this, none of his supporters realize that he's making fun of you. He's saying you're morons. And that video of the Ted Cruz interaction proves the point that, you know, he could shoot somebody in the face. I, and he's I not find that most, most people who passionately support any one of these That's candidates true. at this point kind of have a That's lot true. of the same sentimentality. I just and think I, you, I really don't want to be overly pessimistic I here. I think you're rolling the dice with uh, with uh, uh, a certain kind of uh, of equality of nihilism. Like, oh, mm. all presidents are terrible. So what's how's Donald Trump any different? Yeah. Oh, all uh, fans of presidential candidates are kind of weird and creepy. So fans of uh, they're not they're not all that creepy. It's like it, 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 somehow if we hold up the mirror right uh, to the worst parts of the country that that's not. And, and if and if and if we're wedded, we actually have the candidate who supports the worst parts of American public opinion, that that is somehow not bad or not uniquely bad uh, because, hey, those those parts of public opinion exist. I I I can't get there. I, I don't I guess that's the question. I'm not sure that that is that that is an ad, ac, accurate description that he he actually supports all of the worst parts. Like there are plenty of of things, not plenty, perhaps, but there are things that Donald Trump wittingly or not manages to get right. I would say many of the worst parts, <laughs> not all of the worst parts for yeah. sure. Yeah. So and, and there are Awful, awful things that are said in very eloquent ways with euphemisms by candidates of every other ilk, by Hillary Clinton, uh, by Bernie Sanders, by John Kasich and by Ted Cruz. And I think it's important to try to decode that. I mean, the truth is, when we talk about Hillary as potentially a better candidate on trade, for example, we Mm -hmm. have to look past what she's saying and we have to presume that she'll move to the center. That is what we do with all other candidates. I'm only saying here. 
look, let's just look at the net effect. This is not nihilism. It's just I'm, I'm being realistic and practical in saying we've gotten really, really bad results from the rest of these people. And it's not to say that the country is in tatters. I actually believe that there is much ruin in a nation in the precise way that Adam Smith put it. I think we have pretty robust institutions of liberty and freedom in this country that people don't even understand um, in a lot of important respects. Uh, I, think I, that po- I think that point's right. I mean, I think there's, I'll agree with you on this. I mean, I, you know, Obama was pretty straightforward with what he was going to do, and he did it, by the way. I don't think there was, I don't think that it was as clouded in euphemism as this election. And and I don't know, to your point again, that it's much better that we know someone's going to tell you that they're going to assault you and then they do it, <laughs> rather than getting sucker punched. So, I mean, we're about to get sucker punched, I think. And, you know, the Sanders thing is pulling, pulling Hillary Clinton to the left. And yeah, I think she'll spring back towards the center. Me too. But again, to my to my point, I have to acknowledge that to my point, we are again relying on uh-huh. somebody somebody being slightly dishonest. To the to the bigger point about all this, and, and and to get back to Andrew Sullivan's piece that we mentioned a little bit, is this idea, and Andrew talks about it, and I like Andrew a lot. Andrew and I have known each other for a long time. Um, I think that it's really funny to talk about, and I'll give Andrew uh, uh, some some credit, because I think it's a very good piece, but I think there's a number of very big problems with it. But one of the things that, you know, talking about the media and like the the hysterical media, I mean, some of us remember when Andrew was hysterical, the, na- <laughs> the name the name of this podcast, the fifth column, when Andrew uh, referred to uh, the enclaves on the coast of being a fifth column in the war on terror, and then the Palin stuff, the Trig Palin stuff, the total bananas conspiracy theories that came out of Andrew, which I think that if he would acknowledge... Um, would actually fit into his piece nicely that this 24-hour news cycle, this constantly tweeting, constantly being online, getting in this world in which you think the sky is falling. I mean, people that you hear, like, you know, this Ted Cruz interaction, again, I think is a great insight into the people that I've talked to when I was on the campaign trail, the Trump supporters, that are in the world of Limbaugh's and Hannity's and Mark Levin's, and they live a totally normal life. And, and, but they think the sky's falling. They think everything that we got to take our country back from, you know, not, it's really not that bad, but, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are screwed up and a lot of things can be pro- improved and a lot of things can be a lot worse. But I think what, 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 one of the things that we have to deal with here is that we really are in, I think, so, a uniquely post fact kind of world mm-hmm. in the fact that, you know, the general Pershing thing, which, which, um, um, Andrew Sullivan mentions in his piece is that the Trump story, of Pershing fighting an insurgency by by lining up people and dipping you know bullet Muslims in, in the Philippines, dipping bullets in pig's blood, and then shooting forty nine but fifty and telling the fifty to go back and you know tell the rest of them you know that but not only would that be a, a completely ineffectual <laughs> technique for for counterinsurgency because it would just make people really angry and probably grow the insurgency, but it's also false. Totally he's been, false. He's been told numerous times it's false, and he doesn't care, and he keeps repeating it. And so I think that it's beyond politics in the sense that I looked at the. New York Times uh, bestseller list the other day, and there were books on it. This is not politics, by the way. There were books on it, uh, and that that are that are just four hundred pages of of total falsehoods. And I'm not saying in the Howard Zinn way of like we can argue about the interpretations of of, of you know politics or Pearl Harbor or why we should have used the atomic bombs. Things like juice cleanses. Literally, (laughs) sells billions of copies. We are in post-fact America. This stuff is not true. I had an argument with somebody the other day, and then on the radio show on on Sirius, I had somebody on to talk about it because it irritated me so much. 
you know, acupuncture. Somebody, it's not true. It's fake. It, there's no evidence anywhere that this is true. So everywhere in American life, every single aspect of American life, look at the bestseller list, whether it's health books, whether it's, you know, medical books, whether it's sort of celestial dictatorship books, you know, all of this stuff, we live in an era where it, it, things are false you know all it's over a, the place. But, you know, but it's just global warming denialists are, are, are like, you know, should be in prison. But I, people <laughs> say this. This is the, an argument that people are making. People are making that argument. And people yes. are making that argument. But if you just look around, it's like it's this is not unique. We don't believe in science. We don't believe in fact. Nobody cares. We, we, this is a, a kind of perfect distillation of the American moment of a, an election and the Sanders campaign in, in one way and the, the Trump campaign that it's all emotion. So it, that is the deficiency with Sullivan's piece then in my yeah. estimation that, that America has never been so ripe for tyranny. If it is true, it's true of the left and the right. The left who wants to put global warming denialists in in prison, perhaps not everyone on the left, but them, some of them um, and the right who think that we ought to start some sort of registry uh, and put everyone who happens to own a copy of the Quran um, on this registry like that. Both things are objectionable. Both things are detestable. Perhaps they are not believed to the same degree on either sides. But there are elements like out there on both sides. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Matt. I'll think, give you the last word on this on this topic. Just think to the. Tell, tell me why I'm an idiot. You're not an idiot. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you're smart. I, I mean, I think part of this is a is a um, is an artifact of the big sort where we're sorting ideologically. We're sure. we're becoming more um, personally polarized, and that's and that's finding. Um, uh, representation in our politics. And I think it's not an accident given that, that, um, you know, the two candidates, as we mentioned before, are the most historically unfavorable. But think about on the Republican side. Like, you have a person who most of the country just despises because he's a vulgar boob and a bunch of other stuff. But then the other guy's Ted Cruz. I wasn't sure which one I'm of them not, you were describing. I am not sure Ted Cruz's family likes Ted Cruz. Oh, there's God, there's yeah. at least video evidence that the daughter's kind of on the front. Right, running away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and he uses that. That's part of his thing. Is like uh, that proves that he's anti-establishment. The fact yeah. that. His best friend in the Senate, Mike Lee, hates his guts and wouldn't even endorse him until like a week and a half ago. Uh, so I, I think these things kind of uh, come together. I would uh, uh, single out um, uh, as a boy who cried wolf moment in 2012. A lot of the uh, left leaning mainstream press decided weirdly to single out Paul Ryan as the avatar of untruthfulness in all of yeah, American politics. This is, this is very, right. very good point. This yeah. is, this is oh, you know, four years into the way that President Obama sold Obamacare, in which he just lied constantly. He really did. Even Absolutely. if you like Obamacare, he lied about it. He said that, uh, you know, I, I fought the special interests. Uh, no, they yeah, lobbied no, for this thing <laughs> in record numbers, actually, and a bunch of other things besides. So they singled out Paul Ryan based largely on the date in which some factory closed, like in Wisconsin or something. It was really, really weird. Uh, and so when they shot all those bullets and then are suddenly faced with an actual craven, weird liar, I think a lot of people in, in Donald Trump, a lot of people just kind of a la, 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 I can't hear you. And that's uh, that's the proportionality. But, but, you know, it's really funny. One of the I think one of the reasons that 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 so many pundits and this is like mainstream liberal pundits, this is not, you know, kind of fringy people. Um, you know, the Jacobin or something like this. These are people like Jonathan Chait went after Ryan so hard. 
And I think it's so funny, and, and the irony of this is pretty heavy when you look at what the situation right now, is that they went after Trump, uh, they went after um, Ryan so hard because they didn't like the idea that people saw him as an intellectual. Yes. Do you remember mm-hmm. this? This That's is true. Like, he is the clever guy. He is the Republicans, you know, sage, economic sage. He has a, a background in economics. He's blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the arguments against this were so bananas and people went so hard against him and said, you know, and I, I have no opinion one way or another. I mean, I've interviewed uh, Paul Ryan. I think he's a nice guy. I think he actually is a smart guy. But this idea that he was a dummy and then like this is where you end up with the nominee in 2016, it's like, you know, well, we have to clear the decks and say that this guy's not... Well, Republican voters don't want an intellectual. I think that was a, that was a demerit, if anything, that the idea that, that, that Paul Ryan was the smart guy in the room. Well, we, we, we're pressing up against the clock here. Um, we've got one more topic that I want to be sure we get to, and I know you guys were actually trying to run the clock out so that we wouldn't have to talk about it. Yeah, nigger. sure. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and you even over-talked me there. Uh, I said nigger, oh, like God, nigger. Jesus Christ. White House Correspondents Dinner yeah. set the stage. I, I wanted to play a cut of this this um, Obama so high um, joke as well. But uh, honestly, I don't even want to revisit it. I mean, the president talks about his approval ratings and and suggests that he hasn't been this high since he was choosing his major. Um, it is a funny joke. It would be even more funny if he were not responsible for a policy. And when I say responsible, he's enforcing it. Um, and he's sure, sure as hell not pushing back particularly hard. Um, that was ruining people's lives for doing precisely the sort of thing that he was doing while he was at university. That is actively happening right now. Shit ain't funny, dude. It's not funny. Um, so that doesn't make me laugh. Uh, on the other side, uh, Larry Wilmore uh, was wrapping things up and appears to have hit a nerve uh, by using uh, some strong language. And now, to live in your time, Mr. President, when a black man can lead the entire free world. Uh, Words alone do me no justice. Um, So, Mr. President, I'm going to keep it 100. Yo, Barry, you did it, my nigga. Did it. Thank you very much. Good night. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this, you can't see what the president did in response to that. But he smiled. Mm-hmm. He smiled. He laughed. He got up and he gave him the bro, the bro handshake mm-hmm. with, with the, the back with the back slap. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The one hand clap, you know, back slap. It's all good. He's fine. Um, everyone else is not fine, uh, including April Ryan, a uh, member of the press White House yeah. press pool. His last White House Correspondents Association dinner. Um, he gave jokes, got some ribbing. What did he think about the final words that were delivered to him and of him, the President of the United States? A word that is um, one of the worst words many people say you could say to anyone <laughs> that's going down in history. What did he think about that? What's his reaction? It almost doesn't matter. The response is rambling, doesn't mm-hmm. really get where it needs to go. Um, I guess April, and I like April Ryan. Uh, she probably doesn't remember me. The one time I went to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, um, I was in the press pool, and I had taken her place because she had, like, a legit invitation to sit at the tables. I was sitting up on the dais. This is when W was in office. But I got to ride, ride in the motorcade. That was kind of cool. What's um, happening? Now? I don't know. We'll ask, we'll ask yeah, him, anyway. we'll ask him off, anyway. off air. Anyway, so DVD extra. April Ryan, April Ryan is particularly upset about this. Um, lots of people are animated about this. I wonder if you gentlemen— 
were taken aback by the use of this word. Because oftentimes when I say like nigga or mm-hmm. nigger, whatever, you guys kind of freak out. They're, I mean, look, shrink. they're different words. I'm sorry, but they're different oh, words. And, 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 yeah. Please tell me are. about it, Mr. Moynihan. Oh, here's the thing. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing is that this is the Piers Morgan problem that we're talking about. <laughs> Piers Morgan writes a piece about this and, and uh, you know, it's Piers Morgan. So it's immediately trollish and idiotic. But the response is, how dare you, Piers Morgan, you know, oafish white British man, explain this word to me. I don't think that you have to, you know, be somebody who like was like a producer for the Ghetto Boys at one point in your life <laughs> to actually know that there's an affectionate version and a version that is full of vitriol and hatred in this was not the same thing. But, you know, the, the most offensive thing about this, and by the way, if, if, if you have a White House correspondence to dinner, the, everyone's always annoyed by it. It's, it's so disgusting, this display of people sucking up. No, it's not. It really is. It's just a boring party and, and D.C. is boring and this is the most exciting night of the year. <laughs> so everyone is always trying to be outraged at the so-called nerd prom, which has to be retired because it's a fucking stupid nerd prom. Stop it. Yeah, like, you're, I mean, you're not like, that smart. You're not that smart. Not that these cool. are all these are all it's just the ugly prom basically it's the prom for ugly people it's i'm sorry but if you see i mean you, did you ever remember working in dc everybody's like lurching around dragging one big shoe behind the cami pants Kathy, blue blazers six, six pleats in them 26 years old going on 58 yeah, i know watching c-span don't, in the sports bar Christ, every, the faces that look like manuel noriega it's oh, horrible <laughs> i'm just kidding that is terrible um, but the, the here here thing is by, by the way larry wilmore words can do me no justice is not an english language sentence first of all wow. do it do wow. it but do it in his white sense white explaining words yeah. words can do it no yeah. Justice. Are you saying he wow. sounds like a white? But he person? sounds whiter than Moynihan is. You know, that's racist. Geez, that is totally racist. I'm more offended by what you just said than anything Larry Wilmore. Yeah, me too. No, but the, more than anything is that remember, remember. Actually, I give credit to people like Glenn Greenwald in this because they're so consistently angry that they're just pretty principled about it. Is that remember when it's other people doing this that you're supposed to punch up. You're supposed to have an adversarial relationship with those in power. Larry Wilmore has a satire show, which is one of the least funny things on television. <laughs> I've been, I, I honestly, you know, get uh, more laughs out of watching Mr. Selfridge on PBS. It's unbelievably unfunny. And not just because I haven't been invited on. It's just not funny. Um, but th- th- this, he only I, invites on people who are employed. Yeah, I know. I know. You have to know, Jeff, like my Chiron would be like, you know, my address. <laughs> <laughs> but so, like, yeah, my e- my email address. So, uh, but the thing that is, he's like, you have done it. You're the man. You do everything. Like, yeah, he made a few jokes in there about, but it's all like really, really soft. And people gave George W. Bush, rightfully so, a hard time for having Rich Little, who was like, oh my god, he's going to do a Spiro Agnew impression and crack everybody <laughs> up. But I mean, this is Larry Wilmore is not there to give the president that he loves so much a really, really hard time. And the other thing to say about this, uh, President Obama has very, very good comic timing. Oh, my God. He's good. I think he's very funny. I mean, I don't know who writes the bits for him, but they're delivered in a very funny way. The Boehner video? That was a yeah, cigarette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, we are we are in the moment now where we're going to start. Michael Brennan Doherty had a, a pretty decent piece about this uh, today in the week. Uh, we're going to start missing Barack Obama, even those of us who didn't like him necessarily and don't like him now, but just like as a dude, uh, like his uh, when he was in England uh, uh, last week or whenever Prince died. 
he was a press conference about the special relationship, all this kind of crap. Uh, and then he just says, I, I, I just got to say a few words about Prince. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, lo- luckily we're staying at the ambassadors. This is not a bad impersonation. I'm, uh, no, it's not. It's not particularly good. Yeah, well, uh, I think you should just say that you're. He was uh, <laughs> uh, staying at the ambassador's res- residence and, uh, and, you know, good thing they had a turntable and we we're listening to 1999 and uh, and uh, Delirious. And like, that's we're we're going to miss that. We're going to miss the mic drop, all these kind of things. And we're going to miss the fact you alluded to the drug war. You know, Hillary Clinton is a much more fervent drug warrior than Barack Obama was. Uh, Hillary Clinton is much more interventionist than Barack Obama ever facts. was. Facts. All this kind of stuff. And Lord all knows facts. that Donald Trump will be. So we're going to miss the guy. What about, uh, Camille, I ask you, you pay particular attention to this. Trump on the drug war, has anyone pressed him on this? Because I can imagine him saying something like, you know, we catch them, we execute them, and throw their bodies in the sea. I mean, is this— That's Trump Sanders, apparently? Depends on on which Trump. Uh, I know when he's been pressed and asked about the uh, the war on drugs, his most recent answer during the debate was, we're losing the war on drugs, but effectively because we're not trying hard enough. Yeah, that's bad. If if we only double down. And also if we close the— Pre-Republican Trump— did talk about how the drug war is a stupid, idiotic idea. And One time in 1990 or 1989, yes. And he's he's been asked about that quote, and he ties and, it. He ties it to the wall, doesn't he? Yeah. Now he says, if we yeah. uh, we build the beautiful wall, well, after Mexico builds the beautiful wall for us, then there won't be any more heroin overdoses in uh, Vermont. Yeah, which that's, that's just that's I just, just I don't know how facts. you disentangle any of that madness. The truth is, there's no way to know what the man believes about anything. Uh, and it's pretty difficult to predict what he would actually do. Yeah. So I don't know. I've got but no idea. Trump also good comic timing. Let's. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say that he 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 is um, one of the funnier fascists. <laughs> uh, Mussolini did have that jowly kind of he jut his chin out when he was in the piazza, and people thought that was quite funny. And he used to wear funny hats. Oh, really? Was, yeah, hats Mussolini, are always good. And and he designed them himself, by the way. Uh, it's true. Uh, Clyde, it's Italian, what do you But, you know, um, I will say on this, on the, I will, uh, I know you guys want to, you got to wrap up. Matt's got to go uh, d- to Boston, I think, to do something uh, on television, right? On oh, TV. Uh, are yeah. we always amending our schedule to accommodate Matt? Uh, of course we are. I mean, fantastic life. Yeah. He's so glamorous. But, but, by, by the way, by the, did you ever notice you're never amending your schedule for mine? Wow. <laughs> you wow. need to have a schedule. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. I mean, I, I'll tell you the one time when I got to go pick up my dole check, as they say in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> go stand on cue, mate. So uh, uh, some idiot wrote this. We didn't clear this before, but I just want to say one line. Uh, the New Republic had a piece by a guy. Um, you always have to Google the photo. It's always the best thing to do. And he is apparently like Billy Bragg's 14-year-old son or something. But there's a piece about how um, communism was like a pretty g- good thing and nobody ever talks about how the fact that like Cuba was instrumental when they were fighting a war in Angola in the end of apartheid, which isn't true at all, and how you know the Soviet Union did all sorts of great stuff. And this is in the New Republic, which was once a great anti-communist liberal magazine with a lot of crazy elements to it. But it is so shocking to me to see this in the New Republic under that masthead, apparently getting rid of their um, terrible editor, who I think you're friends with. And <laughs> nice. uh, he's, he's, he's a bad editor. Um, uh, and uh, getting rid of the guy from Facebook has not made any improvements in that stupid magazine. I will add to somebody who wrote this. There's apparently a new book out called American Amnesia, How the War on Government Led Us to Forget What Made America Prosper. Mm-hmm. I'll let you. I'll let it sink in. Uh, oh, it's uh, uh, Jacob Hacker. Uh, I think it's Jacob Hacker. Let's see. Uh, Paul Pearson, uh, political scientists, and uh, one line jumped out at me as written by uh, a Bloomberg View columnist. 
There are no rich countries with small governments, they say in this book. That's not true. There are no rich countries with small governments. Apparently, no such thing as – I guess maybe he says that there's – or they say that there's no – they're exempting all governments that begin with the letter S. So Switzerland (laughs) doesn't exist. Singapore doesn't exist. Hong Kong? Remember Hong Kong? Let alone the the United States until World War I uh, kind of thing. By the way, you could make a libertarian argument out of that and say that once prosperity happens, government grows. It's the Leviathan state that That, comes. That that could be an argument. Camille, do you have any uh, any hatred? No, no. I'm going to leave it right there. Really? Um, But but I do want to say that – this really is a public service. The whole some idiot wrote this business because mm-hmm. we read these things, so you don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to bother reading it. It is that bad. But we you want to protect. I just want to say, but, but based on Twitter responses, what ends up happening is these are things that nobody would ever come across, and then they go and read them after yeah. we point them out yeah, to it's them. True. Like, geez, it's John. true. I'm sorry. So we're not doing that good a job, anyways. So please uh, check us out on Twitter. Holler at us on Facebook. Visit us at wethefifth.com. And we're at We The Fifth on Twitter. And uh, yeah, this was fun. iTunes, Stitcher. Welcome back. We know of Thank new you. methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth Column. Column. All right. <laughs>